Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the ladies that are here. Um, many are back from vacations, and we're just blessed to have everybody here. I thank you for that. I thank you for the nice day, and I pray that you would um, be with me as I teach and that we would um, encourage each other and be pleasing to you, our discussions, and just help us know you more, Lord, after this. Help the wisdom grow. and. Um, yeah, just help the Holy Spirit be in the room and guide us. I ask you this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are on Daniel 5, and um, today is a pretty neat lesson. I guess going in, I just, you know, know the basics of it. But after studying, wow, it's got history jam-packed in there. There's so much to talk about. It's a really good lesson. So hopefully I can um, <clears throat> do it justice. This morning when I was um, getting ready, my husband says to me, oh, you teach today? And I said, yeah. And he's like, well, what's going on today? And I said, well, Babylon Falls today. And he said, oh, that ought to make Daniel happy. <laughs> so I thought about the question, and it kind of perplexed me. Would, would Babylon falling make Daniel happy? It's interesting. Um, but I think one thing it would do is it would solidify more his trust in God. Why? Because the fall of Babylon was prophecy. It was predicted. So that's where I want to start the lesson today. I want to know what Daniel knew before it happened. So I want us to turn to Jeremiah. And we're going to look at, um, and, and there's a bunch, so we're just looking at a couple. And um, to just kind of know what, what Daniel would have known, what God said would happen. And we're going to look at Jeremiah 51. We talked about in the first in the when we first started this that there was prophecy about the fall of Jerusalem and Judah and what would happen and there's now there's the fall of Babylon. So I'm going to kind of peruse through this. So if you're not keeping up with me, I can give you the references later. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just some things to really take note of here. Starting in Jeremiah 51.8, it says, Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken. Wail over her. Get balm for her pain. Perhaps she can be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. Let us leave her to... Let us leave her and each go to his own land, for her judgment reaches the skies. It rises as high as the clouds. Okay, skipping down to 11. Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the kings of the Medes because the purpose is to destroy Babylon. The Lord will take vengeance for his temple. Remember that. 28, skipping to 28 here. Perhaps the nation... Prepare the nation for battle against her, the king of the Medes, their governors and all their officials, all the countries they rule. The land trembles and withers, for the Lord's purpose against Babylon stands, to lay waste the land of Babylon so that no one will live there. Babylon's warriors have stopped fighting. Remember that. They remain in their strongholds. Their strength is exhausted. They have become like women. Her dwelling her dwellings are set on fire. The bars of her gates are broken. One courier follows another, and a messenger follows messenger to announce the king of Babylon that his entire city is captured. The river crossing seized. The marshes set fire. The soldiers terrified. Skipping down to 36. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. 
See, I will defend your cause and avenge you. I will dry up her sea and make her swings dry. Babylon will be a heap of ruin, a haunt of jackals, an object of horror and scorn, a place where no one lives. Her people all roar like young lions. They growl like lion cubs. But while they are aroused, I will set out a feast for them and make them drunk. Remember that. So that they shout with laughter and sleep forever and not awake, declares the Lord. Go to 57. I will make her officials and wise men drunk, her governors, officers, and warriors as well. They will all sleep forever and not wake, declares the king, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Down to 63. When you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates, and then say, so will Babylon sink. Babylon sank to rise and no more because of their disaster I will bring upon her and her people will fall. Okay, so this is all prophecy that Daniel would have known and the pieces that I picked very much relate to the lesson. So that's why when I said remember, we're going to where this is going to come up, we're going to talk about it. So um, because there's so much history and because in chapter four, we were talking about King Nebuchadnezzar and we are now talking about King Belshazzar. We need to kind of, what happened? Well, how many years went by? Well, it was 20 years that went by, and Nebuchadnezzar has passed away at this point, and Daniel's approximately 80 years old. Now, that's because in the beginning, was he 14 when he was taken? Was he 18? So I'm just saying it's approximately, it's approximately 80 years old. But something happened in the kingdom, and um, I prepared a slide for that, and I'll just kind of walk through it a little bit. So we know Nebuchadnezzar. And that's where we're going to start. Well, he had a son, Amel Marduk, and that's their, their main god there. And some commentators have evil in front of his name. Now, that was his name. Not, you know, and I'm sure he was evil too, but, you know. So that's him. And he was murdered by his brother-in-law. Wonder what the sister thought. So that's this guy. And he rules for six years, dies of natural death. And he has a son a young son who was murdered on the throne. He ruled, they said, like six months, maybe maybe five months, but he was a young boy and murdered. So we have this, this fight to be on top. Everyone's fighting to be in control of the great Babylon. And then we have Nebuchadnezzar, and he rules till 539 until this. Okay, so then you say, wait a minute, who's King Belshazzar? And so did historians. For a long time, they thought Daniel's not real. The, or Daniel's story is not real. It's more of a legacy that we can, you know, learn from, but not necessarily happening because there was no record at that point of King Belshazzar. So who is he? Well, they found. Oops, I have to put. <laughs> they found the cylinders of Nebuchadnezzar, and and that was in um, like 1852, and they're now on display. But this, this is a um, a real thing, and it confirmed um, Belshazzar. It confirmed that um, King Nebuchadnezzar actually assigned him as co-regent because King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't, he was, he was away from Babylon more than he was in Babylon because he was doing other things. There's two things I heard. One, he was setting up slave routes and the other was his mother was huge into little G gods and he was going to go on her behalf and restore the temples, you know, in Arabia is where he was. So... The Bible proves right, you know? And so one commentator said, um, they said that 
you know, some people will always come along and say that the Bible isn't real. It's, it's folklore. It's something like that. But he says, just keep digging. Just keep digging. You're going to figure it out. It's true. So I think that's really neat. I think the prophecy is amazing. I think, you know, not that we need the digs to, to believe in it, but it, but it's interesting, isn't it? To, to say, yep, this is in fact truth. So um, what we have here in the beginning of chapter five is we have King Belshazzar holding a party with a thousand of his nobles. Meanwhile, historical documents tell us what's happening. And what's happening is the Medes and the Perds, the Medes and the Persians are joining together outside of the gate to take over. And King Belshazzar is having a party. And what they're doing is they're deferring diverting the Euphrates River. So what they did and how they took over, and you know, we, we heard in prophecy that it suddenly happened, and it actually happened historically too, that it wasn't a huge battle. It wasn't like, you know, major things happening. It was it was just like you know, for me, I can say God did it. God took their hand and he made it all come together is what he did. So what happened is they um, diverted the Euphrates and the men got it low enough that they were able to get underneath <coughs> the city walls and go in, unlock the gates and just simply <coughs> announce that they had taken over. And that's what happened. So that's happening while he's having this party, this blasphemy party that you guys read this last week. So God said it would happen to Nebuchadnezzar. He said that your, your land is going to fall. It was in chapter 2, verse 39, that in the dream it was, it's going to be, your kingdom would rise, another kingdom would rise to you. Okay, so why is Belshazzar throwing a party? He knows it's happening. You do not divert a river in a night. So he knows it's happening and he doesn't care. Why? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of like ignorance. Like, let's just have a party. Let's forget all of our problems. and Ignorance or arrogance? Ignorance, ignorance and arrogance. Um, obviously, you've read the chapter. You know that he should have known about this. It was Nebuchadnezzar, not that far removed from his ancestry. You know, he's, he's choosing ignorance and arrogance. And the other thing is that um, Babylon was considered incapturable. It was set up to be great. And here's, here's what the historical documents say. They had the Euphrates running through it, and that meant fresh water, that they could like buckle down their gates and they could live there because they had water and they had fish. They had 20 years of grain stored. So they're, not, they're just going to close up shop and no one's going to touch them because they have 17 miles of this, um, of this, uh, these walls that are 90 feet high and 22 feet thick. That's what it says. So, and they have watchtowers. And then within the city, the, the areas, uh, you know, the king were protected by even more walls and more watchtowers. So his confidence was completely in himself in the fortress that they had built up. Um, they were just a military superpower that he just simply wasn't scared. He was going to drink and party on with a thousand nobles, all the main people, and um, not care about what God had said to Nebuchadnezzar, not care about what the word of God says, just simply not care. What does that remind you of today? 
who dismisses the word of God? Who doesn't think about it and who could care less about it? Lots of people. Yeah. Right? Wide is the gate that people are choosing, you know? So um, turn to Proverbs 18.10. I want to read this. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay. So in Proverbs 18.10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it as an unscathable wall. Before the downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. So last week, I think we brought up pride comes before a fall. We clearly know from the reading, you know, that we did this last week in, in Daniel 5, that Belshazzar is definitely into the security of his wealth and his walls, and he thinks he's protected. So I think this is a strong message for a lot of people, but I think it's also a message for us. That if we're going to stand in our faith and we're going to be strong in our faith, we cannot feel secure in the things of the world. And that would be what for us? Money. Money. Good jobs. What else? Maybe our health. You know, or our um, good our good families, the place that we live in, you know, kind of protected here in country living. Um, maybe it's just a security and I'm you know, think this is not me saying me, but in general, I'm a smart person. I can solve problems. I know what I'm doing. I have confidence in what I've always done. And, you know, so it's that that warning that um, the righteous go to the Lord and the person who is um, full of pride is going to fall and that and that we ought to be careful and not making sure, I guess, that we're not putting so much effort into the things that the world calls secure and we're putting more effort into the unseen, into the prayer and the relationship of God, into the reading of his word, gathering together here with our sisters in Christ. You know, those are the things that are going to make us be able to stand strong in our faith because, you know, if you don't know where your weakness lies, wait till you get a health condition that's announced. Wait till a family member goes astray. You know, wait till you lose your livelihood because of COVID. You'll notice what you're putting your security in. And um, why not not have to go through all that and start now and saying, I'm going to build my security in what the unseen is, you know? And that's one takeaway from all of this. Um, so let's get back into the scripture. 5-1. I'm going to read down to 4. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Um, does anybody have anything by the word father? If you have a, a, a study type no. ancestor. ancestor. So when I went through all that, it wasn't just um, lies there. It was the fact that that word is used, not that it's a father, but it's an ancestor. So um, just be aware that it, it says it a couple times as we read through. Also in our papers, there's a little sidebar that explains there's not a word for, for that. For the father. Yeah. 
for the word grandfather. Yeah. yeah. So by the the um, history of what I read through, that would be, it does look like Nebuchadnezzar would be a grandfather. So, um, but you know what they're saying there. So had taken from the temple of Jerusalem. Where did we see that happen? Do you remember where that was? We've already heard that is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Right in the beginning at chapter one. Okay, so he, he took, he took um, taken from the temple of Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles and wives, his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a minute. Belshazzar is completely throwing... A blasphemous party here. He is challenging God. And um, in the lesson, if you did, what do you find out about those particular goblets? What is the importance of them? They're holy. They're 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 um, sacred. They were anointed. And um, if we turn back here just real quickly to Jeremiah fifty, we're going to see how God feels about it. Fifty twenty-eight. Fifty twenty-eight says, "Listen to the fugitives, the fugitives and the refugees from Babylon, declaring, declaring in Zion, how the Lord our God has taken vengeance, vengeance for His temple." Okay, and then fifty-one eleven. I just read that earlier. Sharpen the arrows, take up the shields. The Lord has stirred up the kings of the Medes because His purpose is destroy Babylon. The Lord will take vengeance, vengeance for His temple. So, what was done? The stealing of them and being put on the shelf was bad, but this is worse. This is a direct. I am going to my my little G gods have won against Yahweh. And we're going to celebrate it, and we're going to toast to them. It is, um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And what do you think about the character of Belshazzar? How could you describe it after these things? He thinks he's untouchable. He thinks he's untouchable. He wasn't afraid to mock God. Yep, not afraid to mock God. I would also say he's not a great learner. He doesn't <laughs> care <laughs> about... The ancestry, the warnings, any of it. I was I was wondering about that. I wondered, was he alive when his ancestor uh, was, you know, roaming the fields and like an animal for seven years, or had was he born after that happened? Or but he still would have heard of it. Yeah, you would think so. Unless yeah. they just said we don't talk about this. <laughs> right, my, <laughs> yeah. he's the king. Right. Like, this is a family <laughs> secret. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he wasn't that far removed. I mean, even later in the chapter, um, Daniel definitely says, "You should have known. Yeah. Like he should have known. It's not like it's his. You know." far off grandfather that this happened to, he, he would have known, you know? And so, um, you know, if there's anything we could say to this is we had better be learners. We had better care about what has happened. We, we ought to care about God's word. You know, obviously we know that, but I guess it bears repeating. So let's see uh, what happens. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. 
His first, his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. So what a change. What a change in this arrogant, confident man, right? Um, what do you think? What, what if the words would have just said, party on? What, why was he so... <laughs> Why was he so afraid? What do you think? He couldn't interpret it, right? Right? Right. So he didn't know what it said. I mean, there's like this crazy mystical hand. Right. I'm sure he's never, his gods could ever do anything like that. Exactly. Whoa. Yeah, he hasn't seen that. Whoa, maybe should have listened to old King Neb, Grandpa. You know, maybe, maybe there was something to that. You know, so here he is. He's taking these um, stolen goblets and toasting his gods. You know, putting, um, he has all this faith in himself and he has faith that um, the military force is going to be dealing, I mean, it'll just take care of all itself. Everything's going to take care of itself. And he um, straight up gives a blasphemy challenge to the Lord. And um, just like when King Nebuchadnezzar was walking at the top of his garden or in his roof and said how majest, you know, how great his majesty was, God put a stop to it right there. And right here we see, uh-uh, God's like, no more. This isn't going to happen anymore. And he draws everybody's attention to the hand in the room. And um, so let's keep going. Let's see what the what King uh, Belshazzar is going to do. So he called out the enchanters, <clears throat> astrologers, diviners to be brought and said these and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Pause for a, a little review. Why third? Because he's second. Because he's second and his dad is first. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing <clears throat> or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Okay, if Daniel is anything, it's quite repetitive. Have we seen this happen before? (laughs) Okay, so when the Bible repeats, it's trying to tell us something. There's a point. He's writing to the Jewish people. So the first dream about the huge statue, they could not interpret that. Um, the second was last week's about the tree that was cut down. They could not interpret that. And here we are again. Why is Daniel highlighting this so much in his message? What is the point for his readers and what is the point for us? This is not like right or wrong. There's probably several answers. <laughs> that, that God is sovereign and every time he's asked, God has answered. So every, Not that he's sovereign, but he wants to show he what Daniel's been gifted Daniel's been gifted from God his wisdom comes from God the earthly wisdom is not like godly wisdom we know that so he's highlighting to his Jewish people God is still with us God is still gifting me he's higher than any of those idols you could ever worship he knows more God is on top you know and we have God in our lives and we ought to stand out and be different. Okay, and I'm not saying we're all gifted and high intelligent and wisdom, but we ought to stand out to other people. And I think it's an encouragement to us to say, God is still in control. And it's also a warning to say, 
that earthly wisdom is not going to stand up. It's not what you need. You need the wisdom from the Lord and of the Lord. And if we, again, are going to stand strong in our faith, because that's the point of our study, right? That we need to pray about the wisdom. We need to be searching out the wisdom. We need to be in the word with each other, figuring this all out, because that's where wisdom that we need comes from. So I think Daniel's highlighting this because sometimes we need to be knocked in the head and reminded that God is with us. Seek it out, you know? Okay, so let's see what happens. 10, verse 10. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and nobles, came into the banquet hall. Now, we know this is not his wife, the queen, because his wife and wives and concubines were with him. So this is probably my book, Against the Help, and I think it says Queen Mother. Okay, Queen Mother. In comes Grandma, hearing the voices. <laughs> She's not good enough to go to the party. I don't know. Or wise Or smart enough, yeah. right? Not to. So the queen comes in, hearing the voices of the king and the nobles, and comes into the banquet hall. Oh, king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, ancestor, your father, the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind, knowledge, and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems, call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Okay, so in comes Grandma, and she knows and cares and values history. I don't think that we can go on in this lesson without saying we value our grandmas. They do know a lot, and it's good to value what Grandma knows. Okay, so um, so then let's keep going. So Daniel has brought before Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, "Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah?" little bit of an insult there like you're like one of the left behind you're 80 years old I haven't seen you you know I haven't thought about you I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight intelligent outstanding wisdom the wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means but they cannot explain it now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems if you can read this writing and tell me what it means. You will be clothed in purple and have gold chain brought around your neck, and you will be made third highest ruler in the kingdom. Why third? Co-region, again. Bible just proven itself. I love it. So then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. So what do you think about Daniel here in his response? Is he, is he what? Humble. He's humble. Is he super impressed by what the king has to offer him? No. No. He doesn't, I mean, short lived. Thanks for your third highest ranking. You're about to die. <laughs> but he, he's not. He, oh. I think it's also kind of bold to say, 
to even say I don't want it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. most people are just kind of like, whatever you say. Right. Um, they absolutely fear the king. I mean, he could just kill him right on the spot. Sue. <clears throat> the king called him by his Jewish name, which set him apart from everybody else in the room, mm -hmm. and acknowledged that he was an Israelite that he was taken from Yes. Yep. Yep. Called him out. What do you make of the king? It's kind of struggling when we're reading this. Uh, he says, "Okay, so he's he's trying to uh, flatter Daniel and say, well, well, kind of. It's like a compliment wrapped in an insult." Right. He says, "Well, you know, the knowledgeable people in the enchanters, or however he says it, have come before you." And they couldn't do it. So kind of like if you can do it, yeah. Let's see you know, if you can to see you do it. And then he says, "Well, I'll gift you golden chains, and I'll give you purple robes, which all gives you know status. And purple is royalty mm -hmm. um, or uh, godliness, like wouldn't the priests or mm -hmm. whatever wear purple as their." Royal I definitely think purple was something. It's yep. like he's, he's set apart. You know, I'm so great. I'll give you all these things. It's like he was placing himself as a god who could deign these things. Right. Like he had the authority to make Daniel yeah. better than he was or something. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And Daniel's like, I'll have none of it. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think there's probably a, there's probably a lesson there too that, you know, mm -hmm. going after the worldly things that the world can offer isn't the reward. God's our shield and our great reward. That's it. And he was firm in that. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that, and I don't know who said it, but those of us who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. Sure. You know that, that Belshazzar hadn't learned from what had happened to his ancestors. Right. He, he so he's repeating. He's repeating history. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Yep. And not learning. He's not a learner. Okay, so um, <clears throat> so then what happens, let's keep going here in um, verse 18. I want you to notice here, um, actually, can you go to, uh, it's page 52, I don't know what page it is in your outline, but it's question number 11 if you answered it. Because what happens is um, Daniel, you know, he doesn't want the rewards, but he's going to go ahead and tell him what it means. But before he tells him what, what it means, he kind of tells him why first. And it's like, both, like my husband always says, both barrels loaded. He's going to give it to him as to why. And, and it's, um, it's not a pretty picture as to why and, and what this says. But as we read through it, I want to first look at Nebuchadnezzar and just point out a few things about what was the relationship between Nebuchadnezzar and God and, and how... Um, and how Nebuchadnezzar was towards God versus what Belshazzar is. So starting in verse 18, O king, the most high God gave your father, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness, glory and splendor. Because of the high position, he gave him all the people in the nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hard with pride, God then took. 
gave and gave, and then he took. He was disposed from the royal throne and stripped of his glory. This is what we read last week. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. So what is the relationship between King Nebuchadnezzar and God? <laughs> what is the relationship? A challenging one. Yeah, I would say it's a challenging one. And it came to a point where God had given him all this stuff. And he was so arrogant and, and proudful about it. You remember him walking up. We just mm-hmm. talked about it. Oh, all my majesty and how wonderful I am. And God just was like, mm, nope, you're done. But you know? he, gave him, he had a 12-month window yes. that he could have. He could have changed, but he didn't. And that's a big difference on what we're seeing here with Belshazzar. He didn't have that window. And we're going to talk about that. Okay, so let's go to 22 and just look at Belshazzar now, how Daniel's saying. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've had the goblets from his temple brought to you, to you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see, hear, or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Okay, so you ought to have known all this. To me, that is like an underlinable sentence because that speaks to me too. Because if you think about Belshazzar, okay, have you ever known there were problems going all around you and put your head in the sand and and maybe you didn't drink and have a party, but, you know, do something to say, I don't want to think about this. Or have you ever ignored the Bible and gone your own way? Have you ever... um, put idols in front of God, spent more time caring about something else when you should have known this. The last thing I want is for God to write on the wall, Michelle, you should have known that it just spoke to me. Anybody else think about that? It's almost too like if you're in a position where there's wealth and abundance and there's no lack or there's no struggle or there's no adversity and you're just in this place of, well, I don't need God because I have this and I can do this and I have power and it. Life is good. Like, he totally forgot God when it was good. You know, like, it was good for him, so he forgot him, so. Right, and didn't care to. No. Times were so good, he didn't maybe need to think about what King Nebuchadnezzar went through. You know, and and you think about that in terms of our own trials Mm -hmm. and how, you know, the, the Bible is continually saying, be thankful in your trials. Well, how do you be thankful in trials? You know, sometimes you can say that, but the truth is these small baby trials that get us to a point of being able to stand firm in our faith in a big trial, we ought to be thankful for them, mm-hmm. right? Is it easier to like find God in trouble or find God in blessing? Like, you know, when your life is good, sometimes we don't seek Him. But when it's when like when I'm in a hard time with my like, so my my husband, for instance, like we've gone through hell and back with our relationship, and when we would be struggling, I would it was easier for me to cry on out cry out to God because I was like, Lord, I need you. This is such a hard time in my life. Like, I can't do this without you. 
But then there's been moments where we've been like really good. And it's like, oh, you know, oh, I still need that dedication in my prayer time with the Lord. But it's almost easier for me in times of struggle to reach out to God versus in times when it's easy. I'm with you on that one. I mean, experience tells me that I I do draw near to God. But at the same time, I, I think the Holy Spirit is working on me like, continue to draw near and seek him so that you do not have to continue to have trials. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but because um, we'll always have trials, but, but maybe the way you respond to those trials. Right. Yeah. That you, yes. Yes. Um, I read in a book one time that said, um, so during the times of um, not being in a trial, it's really important to stay in the Word, to practice your prayer life, your devotional life, so that that lays a foundation so that when a trial does hit, you know where to go. You know the faithfulness of God because it's the, what the book said was it's really hard to build a foundation of faith in the middle of a crisis. Yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense when we think about when we studied the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, you know, like, take heed of all the things I'm saying, because when the storms come, you're on a solid foundation, you know, his foundation. So um, there's a lot to be learning here from who Belshazzar is and, and, you know, just to make sure that we're listening to history. We're listening and not repeating, you know, and um, making sure all that we should know that we do, in fact, know that we seek out the word. Okay, so let's keep going to see what these, these words mean. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parjin. This is what the words mean. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. In fact, he did it twice. <laughs> tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. What does that mean? So you're falling short of God's expectations. You're falling short of God's righteousness, what his moral character is. You're falling short. Perez, your kingdom, this is a judgment, is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede, who we suspect is an officer of King Cyrus, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Okay. What was... Belshazzar should have been a learner, a student, a humble servant, like we ought to be. Instead, he challenges God. He um, desecrates the holy temples of the Most High God. The big sin here is what? Blasphemy, pride, ignorance, you should have known. And Daniel's given it to him. And um, I'm not going to go into something else. going to go into it kind of running out of time. But um, what I want to say, and I want to think about here at the end before we turn it over to Bethany, is I want to look at this. So we have God's righteousness. Belshazzar, in comparison, is a lightweight. He does not have the righteousness of God. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Who does this remind you of? Me. 
All of us. And what's so? This is bad news. This is really bad news. This is a. This is um. You wish sometimes that God would just write stuff on the wall. No, you don't. <laughs> you want to be in the Word. You want to be in the Word. You don't need Him writing on the wall. Because you have his word. And what does his word tell us for us? This is bad news. What is our good news? That Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. That we all fall short. Not one of us is better than Belshazzar. We all have sin and it's ugly. But God has a fix for it. He loves us. When we set our faith in Jesus Christ, we are covered we are brought down to the righteousness of God because of what he's done, because of him, not because of us. We are all spiritual lightweights. We can't condemn Belshazzar. We can see what he did, but it's us. We're found lacking before a holy God. And I just praise God. And if I'm going to stand firm on my faith, I need to know the foundation of my faith. I need to know the hope that has been set before me in Jesus Christ and be so thankful, willing to pray, willing to seek out a God that loves me that much that he's willing to die while I'm still a Belshazzar. I'm still a sin. He took care of the problem. Praise be to God. So from what I read today, to stand strong in our faith, we need to be teachable. We need to be willing to learn and that means picking up your Bible and reading it. That means coming to Bible study. That means talking, going to church, meeting up with people. That means listening to grandma when grandma has things to say. <laughs> listening to your ancestors. It's about relying on the strength of the Lord, that we don't walk in this alone, and that if we do, we're doing it wrong, that we need to walk in strength with God. We also need to be so very thankful, always, and understand our lightweightness when it comes to spiritual strength and that we are to be thankful and understand the foundation of what we have hope for because we can't stand strong in our faith if we don't understand what's been done in our faith. And I think this lesson is a clear picture of how bad it could be, but how great it is in Jesus Christ.